Welcome to the Vision Church Podcast. We're so thankful that you're taking some time today to listen. We pray that this week's message challenges you to press in deeper with your pursuit of Christ. Our mission at Vision Church is to go and make disciples. You can help us in this mission by rating this podcast and sharing it with the world via social media. We want to reach the lost by raising up the found. Thank you again for tuning in today and enjoy the message. Today we're continuing our series, How to Share My Faith. Last Sunday, I talked about how to share your faith with an atheist or an agnostic. And today we're gonna be talking about how to share your faith with a Jehovah Witness. How do I share? We're gonna be knocking on their door today. All right, good morning to you. Father, we love you and we are thankful for the sweetness of your presence in this place. I ask that right now you would make ready the hearts of men to receive the word of truth. Do inside of us what only you can. And we stand on the promise of Isaiah 55, 11, that when your word goes forth, it cannot return void, but it will accomplish what it was sent out to do. We rely on you. May my life be forever hidden behind the message of the cross. Be strong in my weakness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You know, as Christians, we know about the Jehovah's Witnesses, but very few of us know in detail what they actually believe, their doctrinal beliefs, their statements of faith. And today it's important that if we're gonna share our faith with Jehovah's Witnesses, that we also understand what they actually believe and why they believe it. Now, I know that you may be ready to tune me out and you're like, well, I don't know any Jehovah's Witnesses, but let me pause and say this. Number one, it won't be long before somebody knocks at your door, all right? Number two, some of you have family members, coworkers, and friends that are of the Jehovah's Witness movement. And then third, and maybe most importantly, if you're a born-again Christian, today as we uncover their belief system, I pray that it's gonna fortify and reinforce your faith in the true gospel and in the word of the living God. So don't tune this out. I believe that God is moving today and uh, we want you to lean in right now. So I do wanna start by saying that I'm gonna really be exposing uh, some of the beliefs within the Jehovah's Witness movement and we're gonna really kind of expose it and call it out here. But I do wanna caution you that when you share your faith with any people group, Number one, it must be motivated by a genuine love and compassion for them. If you just wanna be right, if you just wanna win the argument on Facebook, you've lost before you've even started, all right? It's gotta be a motivation of love. And the things that I'm gonna be exposing this morning, what my hope in my heart is, is that you would be equipped with this information and that you would ask them questions that provoke them to question their faith on these topics, okay? But I'm just gonna be coming at you full blast, uh, surprise, and good morning to you. I will say that Jehovah's Witnesses attempt to present themselves as just another denomination, another sect of Christianity, uh, but I will tell you unequivocally, these people are not Christians. They, they do not worship the same Savior, the same God that we serve, And if you're watching this later and you are a Jehovah's Witness, I pray that you'll watch this message to the end in its duration because there are dangerous fallacies within this movement. We need to be equipped to share our faith. And church, you also need to know what you believe and why you believe it. 
It's no longer good enough for this to be grandmama's faith, daddy's faith, pastor so-and-so's faith. No, there's gotta come a moment where you take ownership of your faith and your relationship with Christ and know the word of what you believe and why you believe it. Today, as we sit in this building, there are roughly 8.7 million Jehovah's Witnesses globally, consisting of over 117,000 churches across the world. And I will warn you that Jehovah's Witnesses are often some of the most difficult people to win to Christ on planet Earth because they are so deeply indoctrinated in their organization that it is very, very difficult for them to be won back to Christ. So I'm going to warn you that up front. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words. I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let's God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. Verse nine, I say again, what we have said before, if anyone preaches another gospel than the one you have welcomed, let that person be accursed. So the scripture here is not mincing words. Um, the Lord is very protective of the simple, pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul urges them, if anyone, no matter how eloquent, no matter how convincing, if they preach to you another Jesus or they present to you another gospel that differs from the life, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, run and let that person be accursed. These are fighting words from the Apostle Paul. The first thing that we're going to show you today is the origins of the Jehovah's Witness movement. First of all, it began in 1870 as it branched off of Orthodox Christianity. By the way, I would encourage you to take notes because we are going to be moving fairly quickly. Its founder was Charles Taze Russell. He started a Bible study in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, because he was deeply unconvinced of the Orthodox tenets of Christianity. He believed that many things were a farce or a fallacy, and so therefore he started his own Bible study and his own movement to convince other people to detract from mainstream Christianity. The name Jehovah's Witness is derived from the God the Father, Jehovah. This group was initially called the Watchtower Society, but today it bears the name Jehovah because they believe that is the one singular name of God by which he must be identified as, as Jehovah. So we're going to pause real quick and reflect on what the scripture also names God. There are many names for God in the scripture. Number one, in Genesis chapter one, the word calls him Elohim. You may say, well, wait a second. I don't see that name in my Bible. Homie, the scripture wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. And so in the very earliest manuscripts in the Hebrew language, the word for God was not G-O-D, it was Elohim. And Elohim, literally by definition, means God in the plural tense. 
It is a nod to the Godhead, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit present at creation, laying the foundations of the world. The name Elohim is, is a powerful name for the Lord our God. Also, Genesis 17 gives him another name, El Shaddai, which means the overpowering God. We serve a God who's unlimited in power, transcendent, king of kings, Lord of lords, triumphant in power. He's El Shaddai. Scripture calls him in Psalm, the eighth chapter, by the name of Adonai, Adonai, which means the Lord my God. Scripture also refers to him as Yahweh and Jehovah Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heaven's armies. I'm pointing this out to you because there are a myriad of names used for God in the Bible, not just Jehovah. The reason that scripture lists so many names for God is because in each name, it reveals a new facet of his character, a new revelation of his glory and his person. God is so great, so magnificent, one name simply does not do him justice. With each name, it reveals just another glimpse of his majesty and glory. Notably, in the New Testament, we see one of the most beautiful names for God of all, and that is simply Father. Now, when you hear that name, you know, it kind of glances off of us because we're numb to frequency in modern Christianity. But let me pause and tell you that the audience who heard God referred to as Father for the first time were awestruck with a holy reverence and awe because never in their imagination had they ever conceived God to be a personal Father, a loving Father who has an intimate, caring, personal, direct relationship with his creation. Not only did Jesus refer to God as Father, but also the disciples, the apostles also call him Father. So while Jehovah certainly is a name for our God, there are many names that also reveal his character. The next thing I wanna expose is the New World Translation. Tell your neighbor the NWT. It's called the NWT. <clears throat> Now, the New World Translation is often peddled as just another translation amongst many within Christianity. It looks just like a normal Bible that you hold in your hand. In fact, I have a story. A couple of years ago, a very famous, prominent church in Oklahoma posted on their Instagram someone holding up a Bible. It was a stock photo. But as I was scrolling through Instagram, I read it and it said, New World Translation. I about fell out of the chair. I DM'd them so fast, faster than you, the girl you like. I DM'd her. I was in, I slid in the DM so fast. I was like, hey, I know y'all meant well, but that thing is not a Bible. That is the New World Translation. Sure enough, it was, and they took it down. They were embarrassed, but they didn't even follow me back. I mean, I mean, come on, right? Like, what's up with that? So uh, they didn't even send me a T-shirt from the guest shop. I mean, nothing, right? But anyway, they thanked me, but the, I bring that point to your attention because it's very easy to just pass off the NWT as another translation like the NLT or the ESV or the NIV. All the acronyms sometimes blur together and we can innocently take this as a translation of the Bible. Let me say profoundly and unequivocally, the NWT is not an acceptable version of the scripture. It is heresy, 
heretical to its core. And I'm gonna show you that in just a few moments. The NWT is not used by any other religious group or organization on planet Earth. Nobody but the Jehovah's Witnesses use the NWT and the Jehovah's Witnesses tell their parishioners that every other Bible translation outside of it is, is defamed, it's, uh, it's distorted, it's false. Listen, one red flag of the occult is that they want to isolate you from everybody else and everything else in the world. Isolation is where it's easier to control and manipulate people, all right? So they tell them all the other Bibles are messed up, they're mistranslated, only the NWT can be test trusted. But the reality is the NWT has been severely altered from the original biblical canon and its founders are an anonymous committee. Imagine that. We can't even find one name of the person who helped comprise on the committee of the New World Translation. How many of you know that's another red flag waving in the air? Because now we can't hold you accountable. We can't check your credentials. We can't verify if you are a, a professor of the Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic. We have a problem with anonymous translators. The New World Translation is an intentional, systematic deviation from the scripture with the intention of conforming the scripture to the belief system of the, of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Rather than submitting their life and faith to the biblical canon, they have altered the scripture to agree with their theology. If you have your Bible, look one more place with me. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18. Listen to this warning. I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words of the book of prophecy, then God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. Church, that's a profound warning. Revelation, the closing chapter, 22, it says, if you add anything to this book, the plagues described in it will be added to your life. If you take anything away, you remove it, you obstruct things from, this, from the text, your right to inherit everlasting life will also be removed. That is a stern warning from the spirit of God. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna alter the text. While I'm here, let me also say that I truly believe this scripture should be solemnly examined by preachers and teachers of the word. If we add to the scripture, our opinion, our political correctness, or if we detract from the scripture, omitting verses and passages so that we can comfort and water it down to accommodate an unbelieving world, I believe we also stand in the judgment of God Almighty, not just translating it, but also communicating it orally. We must not misrepresent the scripture. We've got to rightly divide the word of truth in love, in boldness. We need a backbone and people that are going to preach the word of the living God. Anybody with me today? We need to, we need to preach the word. Christianity is in the mess that it's in today because we have idolized church growth and money. So we've watered down the scripture as not to offend anybody. And what we've done is we've watered down the scripture and we've produced watered down converts. We need disciples who are convinced of the word of God, who are fearless and bold. 
And yes, the scripture is offensive. Good morning. <clears throat> In just a moment, I'm gonna show you a couple graphics of examples of how the New World Translation butchers and intentionally alters the biblical canon. The first example is found in Luke 14, 27. We're gonna show you this here on the screen. The verse that is in highlighter yellow, that is the New World Translation. And I want you to watch this intentional, this is, this is so evil, watch this. Whoever is not carrying his own torture stake and coming after me cannot be my disciple. Look at Luke 14, 27 in the biblical canon, the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. The Jehovah's Witnesses and their anonymous committee have every time you see the word cross in the Bible, they have replaced it with the word torture stake because they do not believe that Jesus died on a cross. They believe that he died on a stake. The Muslims also believe this. This would be historically inaccurate because the Romans crucified on a cross, all right? Also, every time the word hell would be mentioned in the Bible, the New World Translation has omitted the word hell from the Bible. Instead, they use terminology Sheol, Hades, Guyana. They replace the word hell because Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in hell. And we're gonna talk more about that in a minute. But I want you to look at one more verse, John 1.1. 1, 1. By the way, one of the greatest tests for any translation of the Bible, if you're wondering, do I have an accurate translation of the Bible? This is the best test that you could ever check. It's John chapter one, verse one. I want you to look at the New World Translation here in yellow. It says this, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. So far, so good. And the word was a God. You see how they just insert one letter and lowercase another, and it changes the entire interpretation, meaning, and application of the text. The biblical canon says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You see the difference? staggering difference in application. Of course, John 1 is referencing Jesus. It goes on to say, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God and all things were made through him and by him and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is John 1. The word is referencing Jesus. So what the Jehovah's Witnesses through the New World Translation are literally saying, they're saying that Jesus is not God Almighty, he's a lowercase g. It makes me want to dropkick something and just scream. <laughs> when the Bible under lowercases a g in reference to God, it drives me crazy because that's the same thing it does when describing Satan. It says that Satan is the lowercase God of this world. I want you to understand today, Jesus is not to be minimized. Jesus is not to be belittled. He is the triumphant, transcendent king.
King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the image of the invisible God. And when the disciples asked, show us the Father, Jesus said, he rebuked them and said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Any false teacher or false religion, they will minimize Christ and they will minimize the scripture. Run for the hills. Is this helping anybody so far? Two and a half of you, okay. (laughs) Over the remaining few moments of the sermon today, I'm gonna expose six heretical beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses. So would encourage you to write this down. Before I jump into the first one, if you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're watching this sermon, I wanna ask you a simple question. Every week, routinely, your leaders demand that you cause other people to question their faith, yet they never allow you to question your own. Today, you should question your faith. You should examine, do I really believe in the truth? By the way, when have you ever heard me tell you at Vision Church, oh, don't question your faith, never doubt. Listen, that's okay to doubt. It's okay to have questions because as you press into the scripture and you seek truth, you will find it. We don't have to be intimidated of you self-discovering things because we have the truth and we hold it confidently. The first false belief of the Jehovah's Witnesses is they deny the Trinity. Tell your neighbor that's not good. That is a departure from Orthodox Christianity. Okay? Jehovah's Witnesses say that because the Bible never explicitly uses the word Trinity, it must not be biblically true. They claim that the doctrine of the Trinity developed over centuries through a long period of time, that the early apostles did not believe in the Trinity, which we're going to refute that in a minute. They claim that the Bible emphasizes one God alone, and that is Jehovah. But I want to pause here and caution you. Yes, the scripture teaches one God revealed three ways. From Genesis to Revelation, the scripture reveals one God through three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A departure from the Trinity is a departure from Christianity. 1 Peter 1.2, look at the scripture. I brought the Bible to show you. 1 Peter 1.2, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Right here in 1 Peter chapter 1, we see the Trinity at work in your salvation. God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all working in simultaneous unity to redeem and to restore fallen humanity. If you have your Bible, look with me at John 20, 27. Let's talk about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound on my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Watch verse 28. My Lord and my God. That's what Thomas says. Jesus says, all right, doubting Thomas, you don't believe. So the glorified, resurrected Jesus appears before the disciples in bodily form, and he says to Thomas, touch my nail-pierced hands. Thrust your hand into the wound on my side. And what does Thomas respond with? He says, my Lord and my God. 
Church, this is significant because Jesus does not stop him. Jesus does not rebuke him. Jesus does not say, no, no, only Jehovah. Jesus accepts his praise. He accepts the deity that was lavished. He accepts who he is. He is God in human form. Jesus is the image of the invisible father. Oh, and by the way, Hebrews chapter one, watch this. Hebrews 1, 8 declares that Jesus is not a God. He is the God of all creation. Watch this. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than anyone else. He also says to the son, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and made the heavens by your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. My God, do you see this? Hebrews 1 unashamedly declares that Jesus is God and that by his command and his hands, the heavens and the earth were formed and he laid the foundations of the earth. The Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is God. They do not believe he is divine. They believe that he is a created being. Jehovah's Witnesses are taught that Jesus was the first created being and that from him, everything else was created. But church, that is a blatant contradiction to all of scripture. I just read John 1 to you. It says, and everything was made through him. He existed eternally outside of time, space, and matter with the Father and the Spirit and created everything that is. Again, anyone who tries to minimize the person of Jesus is a heretic. And also you have to understand too, many of us, we think that Jesus just arrived on the scene in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Wrong. He is the transcendent king of glory who has always been, always is, and always will be. And in that moment of time, he stepped out of heaven's throne, leaving the right hand of the father to take on bodily form and become a mediator between God and man, ultimately giving up his life, shedding his blood on the cross to take away the sin of the world. God almighty came and took on human flesh and died for you. All three, Father, Son, and Spirit throughout Scripture possess the attributes of deity. They are declared omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and eternal. In other words, all three, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, all throughout Scripture, Psalm, Jeremiah, Matthew, John, 1 Corinthians, Revelation, the book of Job, all declare them to be omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and eternal. These are attributes that only belong to God. We serve one God revealed three ways, through Father, Son, and Spirit. The next, the next false belief of the Jehovah's Witnesses is they believe that Jesus is a created being. I mentioned this just a moment ago, but I'm gonna double down on it again because it's super important. Colossians chapter two, verse nine refutes this, and I want you to read it. Colossians chapter two, verse nine. <clears throat> for in him, Jesus, 
dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Woo, about to take a lap. Church, like, do you feel what, okay, they say, oh, well, the Bible doesn't say Trinity. It just said Godhead, leave that on there. It just said God, what is the Godhead? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It says that in Christ dwelled the fullness of the Father, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Son, the Godhead in bodily form in its fullness existed in Christ. It was not a mere mortal who died for you on the cross. The blood that was shed for you was divine and sinless. Only God himself can take away the sin of the world. Around Christmas time, we always are reminded of one of the initial names of Jesus, which was Emmanuel, which most literally means God with us. The angel said, and a child will be born, a son given. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. To deny the deity of Christ is to deny the scripture and to deny Christianity itself. The Jehovah's Witnesses say Jesus is not equal with God. He was created. And they also claim that Jesus is actually Michael the archangel. Flag on the play. Time out. Football season is back. Glory. Come on, somebody. Had to slide that in there. Scripture declares Jesus is eternally God and he has the same divine nature as the Father. John 5, 18, John, 5, John 10, 30, and Hebrews 1, 3. The third erroneous belief of the Jehovah's Witnesses is they believe that his resurrection was in spirit only. I'm really about to lose my mind right now. I'm really about to lose my mind. They actually teach, I'm serious, you need to know this. They teach that during the three days when his body was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, they literally teach that Jesus's body disintegrated by a supernatural occurrence and it was a spiritual resurrection. Oh my gosh. If you deny the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are not a Christian. You're not a Christian. First <clears throat> Corinthians 15, 14. I want you to listen closely to the words inspired of the Holy Spirit through the apostle Paul. Listen to this. First Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we, the apostles would all be lying about God for what we have said is that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sin. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only in his life, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else in the world. Do you hear that? Paul literally says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if he did not get up from that grave on the third day, then all of this is empty, useless, and we are still dead in our sins, lost in our trespasses to be pitied above all people. But I want you to know right now, 
As you sit in this church, there is an empty tomb in Jerusalem that holds no body. He was buried, he died, and on the third day raised from death to life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. This was not some spirit body. This was a glorified body raised. By the way, ask a Jehovah's Witness, describe to me a spiritual resurrection. Describe to me a spiritual body. They can't because it is contradictory. It makes no sense. I want you to understand today, the same body that was wounded and beaten beyond human recognition is the same body that rose on Sunday morning three days later. Do you understand that the word of God declares that right now, seated in the highest heaven at the right hand of the Father, there is nail, there are nail-pierced hands, a wound still in his side. The resurrected Jesus is still in a glorified body. The same one that hung on the tree is now seated at the right hand of the Father. It's a physical resurrection. His resurrection validates his message. Every word he spoke, every sermon he preached, every doctrine he declared. That empty tomb is our blessed assurance and our holy confidence. By the way, Thomas touched the nail-pierced hands. John the apostle said, I'm an eyewitness. I have seen the resurrection and the life. These men, these apostles died for what they saw. They went to their death convinced beyond the shadow of a doubt that he is the raised Christ, raised from the dead. The fourth erroneous belief, very quickly, <clears throat> is Jehovah's Witnesses believe the second coming already occurred in 1914. Lord, help us. And if you actually study this, and you do the backstory, what you'll discover is that leading up to 1914, the upper tier leadership of the Jehovah's Witness movement, they were predicting Armageddon, the end of the world to happen in 1914. They were convinced. They were date setters before it was cool. And 1914 came and went, and we're all still here. So they had to come up with something. So they're like, well, you know, maybe it wasn't Armageddon. Maybe, maybe oh yeah, it was the second coming. Sure, that was it. And it was a spirit second coming, so you can't see it or experience it, but trust us, it happened. I'm serious. This is erroneous. Over 8 million people believe this. May God have mercy. Let's read the scripture. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is unmistakable. Tell your neighbor it's unmistakable. It's not going to be like one Thursday afternoon. It's like, oops, oh, he came and I missed it. <laughs> no, look at, the look at the Bible. Seriously. Mark 13, 21. <clears throat> then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders as to deceive, even if possible, God's chosen ones. Verse 23 Watch out, I've warned you about this ahead of time. And time after time, after anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Verse 26, watch this. Then everyone will see 
the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Did you read the Bible? It said in everyone, every unbeliever, every atheist, every Christian, every Jew, every Gentile, everyone will see him in his glory and power. It didn't accidentally happen in the spirit in 1914. Scripture declares it will be unmistakable, unmistakable. You will see it. Fifth erroneous belief. They do not believe in hell. And I mean, hey, that would be nice, right? That'd be great to just slide that in there. No hell, Uh, but it's false because the scripture mentions 54 times a place called eternal hell, the lake of fire, eternal suffering. By the way, we don't talk about this enough in church, you know, because we want to make everybody happy, want everybody to feel good. But you know, the truth is you need to be warned that eternally, you are an eternal being that exists in a body. And one day that body will die, but your soul will remain eternally. And you will exist forever and forever eternally, either in the presence of the living God or eternally cut off and separated from him. If you don't want God in this life, why would he force himself upon you in the next? If you don't want God, you can have hell because it really is the culmination of the human will, their own will, their own way, their own path with them as their own God. And with all due respect, hell is unimaginable, unimaginable. Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that it exists. They do say that hell, Guyana, it's a place where the wicked dead are thrown in and then they immediately lose consciousness and they cease to exist forever. But that is not what the scripture teaches. Matthew 25, 41, this is the word of God. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, away with you, you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Very quickly, Matthew 25 teaches that hell was never created for you or I, never. It was intended for Satan and his demons, his fallen angels. With all due respect, though, if you follow Satan and you follow his ideology and you live as he is God or you are the God of your own life, that will ultimately lead you away from God eternally. Scripture warns that the path that leads to destruction is broad and wide and many there be that go at it. But the way that leads to life is straight and narrow and few there be that find it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. Make no mistake about it. Matthew 25 is in the context of the eternal judgment. Every one of you on the day of judgment, you will stand before the maker of heaven and earth. You will either be condemned for your sin or your sin will be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no gray area. There is no in-between. There is no, well, I was a good person. No, no, no. Your goodness could never be good enough. Our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. And Romans 3 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all deserve hell, eternal anguish and separation from God. We deserve it. Listen to how the scripture describes hell. Listen to this. It describes it as a place where we are conscious. It is a place where we eternal, we eternally exist. It describes fire, bondage, darkness, thirst, warm, worms, pain, gnashing of teeth. Hell is far worse than anything you could ever imagine. You will have every 
lustful craving, yet it will remain unfulfilled. There will be no rest for your soul ever. You will never rest. Your thirst will never be quenched. Your hunger will never be satisfied. And when you've been there for 10,000 years, you'll be, no, you'll be there for 10,000 times 10,000, and it's just the beginning. Hell is romanticized or glorified in our culture. Oh, I'll see you in hell, or we'll catch up in hell. You have no idea what you're saying. It's incomprehensible. This is not a game. This is not a joke. We're not here to collect an offering. We're here on mission to warn you that there is a coming judgment and we all deserve hell. But thanks be to God when we were dead in our sin, lost in our trespasses, he was rich in mercy. He's merciful. And it is God's will that none of you would perish, but everyone would have life everlasting through Christ. You are saved by Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became our sin on the cross, that you might be called the righteousness of God through him. It's not your good works. It's not your performance. You could never earn heaven. It's not a reward for the righteous. It's a free gift to sinners. Humble yourself today. Repent before a holy God and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. In closing, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe four things about salvation. They believe that only Jehovah's Witnesses are going to heaven. They believe that you must be loyal to the organization and that you're saved through good works. That's why they go door to door. That's why they stand on the street corner. That's why they profusely and tirelessly strive and strain because they are hopelessly longing to attain mercy, but they will never find it. They, they say that you must acknowledge Jesus Christ, but their version of Jesus Christ is not the biblical Jesus. It's not. Today, if you're in this room and you're not right with God, I want you to hear me loud and clear. It's, it's nothing that you do that saves you. It's his work that has been finished on Calvary. You are not gonna die and one day accidentally make it to heaven. It's not a reward for the righteous. It's a free gift to sinners. You can leave this place today knowing that your sins are forgiven, that the blood of Jesus has cleansed you, that you've been born again and made new. It's a spiritual regeneration that happens through prayer, humility, and repentance. Pray with me now all over this place and those of you in overflow. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we repent of our sin today. We acknowledge that we have been full of lust, pride, greed, and selfish ambition. We have loved the things created more than the creator himself. Today, we ask for mercy. We recognize no amount of good deeds will ever be good enough to outweigh the sin that we've committed. We know that we deserve hell, but we're thankful for the cross of Calvary. And we believe that 2,000 years ago, you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, divine in human body, he lived a sinless life. He performed miracles. He died on the cross in my place. The wrath of God was poured out on him. The unjust was condemned. He died and was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the grave. We believe he's the resurrection and the life. And today we place our faith in him. Lord, I give you my past, my present, and my future. Change my heart. Help me to love what you love and despise what you despise. And may I serve you all the days of my life. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, 
click that subscribe button, share this podcast on social, or even take a screenshot from your story and tag us. We'd love to hear how the Lord is using this podcast to bless your life. You can send an email to info at visionchurch.com or you can DM us on social with a story of how God is moving in your world. Also, we'd like to thank those who invest in our ministry financially. It's because of your sacrifice that we are able to publish this every week. If you'd like to join in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in the description or visit visionchurch.com and click the Give tab. Thanks again for listening. God bless. Thank you.